You are listening to Keystone Stock Talk Show, episode 215. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at www.keystocks.com. Come back often, and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at Keystocks and on Facebook. And keep submitting your stocks via the usual social channels or at our website, keystocks.com, for our Your Stock Artake segment. And we just might review your stock in an upcoming show and let you know if it is a buy, sell, or hold. great to be back with you again this week. We truly have a packed show. We will kick off. Aaron's going to discuss investing in gold royalty stocks and examining the fundamentals of six of the more well-known and actually profitable gold royalty stocks in North America. In the discussion, we include Franco Nevada, FNV on the TSX, Wheaton Precious Metals, WPM on the TSX, Royal Gold, RGLD on the NASDAQ, a Cisco Gold Royalties OR on the TSX, Triple Flag Precious Metals, TFPM on the TSX, and Sandstorm Gold SSL on the TSX. I will take a listener compliment on Hammond Power, HPS.A on the TSX, and answer their question on Airboss of America Corp, symbol BOS on the TSX. That's a lot of symbols. The company develops, manufactures, and sells high-quality proprietary rubber-based products such as rubber compounds, rubber footwear, handwear, gas masks, anti-vibration automotive components, and industrial products. This pandemic star, which spiked to $46 in December of 2021 on the backs of personal protective equipment or PPE equipment contract wins, from the U.S. government now trades in the $7 range as these windfall contracts dwindled down. I will answer whether we finally see value or if the slide can continue. Following the new PGA Tour merger with the Saudi-ran public investment fund, which owns Live Golf, Brennan, and I stress him alone, thought it would be interesting to look at some golf-specific stocks. In the crosshairs this week are Akushnet Holdings Corp. symbol Golf on the New York Stock Exchange, which owns the Titles brand known worldwide for their balls. The second company, Top Golf Callaway brand Corp. symbol MODG on the New York Stock Exchange, owns the Callaway Golf brand and acquired the popular Top Golf driving ranges for around $2 billion in 2020. Brennan lets you know if he can marry his passion for the sport with a great investment opportunity. Finally, Brett will handle our star and dog segment. Our dog of the week is Tenant Financial Group, symbol PKK, on the Canadian Security Exchange. Tenant is a fintech technology service provider which operates in both Canada and China. The stock has fallen 66% to $0.13 cents over the past month. Brett will let you know if this former high-flying microcap and what what has hit this former high-flying microcap. Our star of the week is Adobe, symbol ADBE on the NASDAQ. Adobe is one of the largest and most diversified software companies in the world. The stock has risen, risen 40% in the last month alone. 
Is it AI, better financials, or what else is driving the stock? Brett will fill you in. All right, let's get to the show. My co-host, Aaron, Brett and Brennan, the killer bees. How are you guys doing? You have a good weekend? Sure, dude. Yeah. You know, I just realized something. All four of us are wearing glasses today. Amazing. Wow. That is true. Yeah. It that may have true. happened before, but uh, it's it's brilliant to point I'm out. I'm sure at some point. I'm well, the, the, po- the podcast listeners really wanted to know if we're all glass-faced mm-hmm. tonight. Hey, four eyes. All right. Anyways. Yeah, I guess this is, this is news too for, for my life. I became an uncle times two over the weekend. So my sister had a, Friends? Uh, no, a baby boy. So she's now had a baby boy uh, named Max Tim. Um, so, you know, yeah. little, little hipster hipsterish i guess you could say but uh but yeah so now i have a niece and uh, a nephew um, apparently you said it's an irish name thank you thank is you. it an yes, irish name apparently it's an irish name um and i was just on the phone with my sister so, sorry what's the name again uh, max tin so it's like max and then ty max tin yeah max tin max tin yeah okay yeah yeah cool well congratulations thank mainly you. to your that's sister a, that's like an authentic irish name <clears throat> supposedly this is what i'm told because at first when i heard the name you can neither confirm nor deny you thought it was made up is what you're saying at first but it's not <laughs> yeah, exactly. we know it's yeah. not so it's max maxton yep maxton okay that's uh, that's not bad at first i thought you said max tam no no I'm sorry like, I was it's a hyphenated max and not, not they things. were twins it's not hyphenated no. yeah no. yeah Oh, good. I had, um, it wasn't actually her birthday, but it was my daughter's uh, birthday, like school birthday, where she invited like 14 uh, kids from her class and we went bowling and it was, you know, you can imagine seven, eight, nine year olds, 14 of them bowling. It was a bit of a crap show, but it was super fun. It was good. Uh, Lots of adventures, lots of balls getting in other alleys somehow, but you know, that's what (laughs) tends to happen at these things. They had a good time. I I was surprised there was a book. Was it five? Was sorry, it, there's five or six there that have never even golf or it's not golf. Sorry, bowl. Ten, ten, or no? We went, we went uh, five. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's ten pins. Have, we, uh, I, I prefer ten pin. Brennan likes five. I was saying me, I like but, five better. Well, but, you he, know, he, you can just really get the get the <clears throat> the whip on him, you know. But <laughs> my my daughter, who just will be turning eight, said these balls are too small for me. <laughs> like for Brennan. He's all into the five pin, uh, right? That's good. Yeah. Uh, it's good. It's good. That's funny. No, we had a good time. And it was a Harry Potter theme. So we all nice. wore like, we're wearing glasses today, but we all wore, everybody there had the round glasses on, the Harry Potter glasses, the iconic, and the, the scars on our forehead. So it was a good time. We also, this past week, uh, just released a special report on our US, to our US clients. We did some research on roughly 3,000 U.S. stocks with a market cap of under $2 billion, making two new recommendations as well as about six or seven high conviction monitor stocks as we are looking to potentially add these companies to our coverage over the next year. Uh, I think it's a great report, about 145 pages in that range. Uh, there's 20 to 30 total reports, I believe, in there on individual st- stocks that we're monitoring and those high conviction monitors, as well as those two recommendations. So any of our clients out there, check your inbox. It came out uh, this morning, I believe. Uh, And maybe that's yesterday if we tape this in advance, but it just came out. Check your inbox. There's a couple new recommendations there and new companies to discuss in our Wednesday chat upcoming this week. It'll be great to uh, introduce those new companies to our clients 
and start buying and uh, look what they can do over the next three to five years in their portfolios. Any comments on that? You have fun researching for this, guys? Yeah, sure did. Yeah, well, it's, it's, always, it's always an enlightening experience, right? Because you're going through thousands of companies, literally, which requires learning about different industries, yeah. kind of understanding where the valuations fit in each industry, like what industries um, you know, are relatively more expensive or less expensive to the market, and then figuring out why. Uh, so it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's probably one of the more fascinating parts of being yeah. a, a research analyst is when you like look at so many companies at once and you just really have to dig into it. But no, I, I felt we've, we found some very interesting companies that came out of it, very unique businesses. Yeah. Without a um, doubt. All across a segments, couple right? That might be familiar, but many that I'm sure, you know, not many people have heard of before yeah, no, some like an great, over, some great businesses yeah. a, a theme that i kind of found as like we went through a lot of the companies and then really dug in was you know a lot of companies are kind of experiencing gross margin compression right now um at least the companies that i was researching um you know and uh, a lot of management teams are anticipating you know margins to expand like there was like one food distribution company that i was looking at um you know another manufacturing company as well so obviously uh, you know, input costs may be uh, a factor there, but uh, that is one kind of thing that I saw as well. You know, we had some interesting uh, management interviews uh, as well. Some good, some bad uh, to say. Um, yeah, yeah, we I probably the, reached out and interviewed 15 to 20 management teams, some in person at conferences that we were just at, some yep. over the phone, some, you know, web uh, or, or video conferencing and interesting interviews that went through, uh, some that may lead to recommendations down the road. Some confirm we don't want to have anything to do with them. Some confirm that, yeah, this is the type of company we wanted to invest in. So, you know, it's always interesting to talk to all those management teams over the past couple months and come out with those recommendations, really unique companies that we have in there, which is great. Some of the, you know, real cash rich businesses that are generating cash flow. And, you know, if there is a downturn, they can survive it and thrive out on the other side. So those are things we're looking for. Not necessarily always they have to have a net cash position, but, you know, one of the companies we recommend had roughly what, Aaron, like half a billion in cash sitting in the bank. Like it's in that range. And, you know, significant portion of its market share or something yeah, like that, yeah. I think, it's, on a per share basis. Yeah. yeah. And the company trades like in the $30 range. So it's a, a significant portion of its entire market cap sitting there in cash. Uh, and, you know, has the ability to deploy that for to juice future growth. But, you know, if they make an acquisition, it's going to come out of cash. It's not going to come out of the company raising uh, capital, issuing more shares. So, you know, it's great to see. And then they can use that as well to buy back There may shares be a dividend. You know, who knows? All of those things are in play when you have a balance sheet like that. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and then. Uh, yeah. Go on. Go. Or I was just going to say as well, like the top tier monitor list, you know, <laughs> we are, we do have, you know, a few names, which we would like to build a position. We're being patient. Um, but yeah, you know, there's, yeah, there's definitely- a couple names on there that we we're almost certain we're going to add to coverage over the next year. Yeah. Um, we're looking for an opportune time some of them have tough comparables over the, the previous year, but we see growth like three to five years forward. So if we can get the price that we want, not going to get try to get too cute, but if we can get the price that we want over the next year, these are companies that we want to be involved in. So yeah, it was a good report. Um, yeah. A lot of research goes into it, and that also uh, helps us now adding companies going forward to that U.S. portfolio. So exciting to see, and uh, we'll continue to do that going forward. And again, 
we're right on our next report. Right now we're doing it. Uh, we're starting an electrification report. So we're looking at, you know, we've whittled it down to about 400 companies that are loosely in that sector. We think it's a long-term 10-year-plus theme, the electrification of the world. We're putting that report together now and going through those companies, the similar process. Won't be 3,000 companies like the last report, but if we can whittle it down from 400 to you know about five or 10 individual companies that we like right now in that segment, just showing you what to avoid and what to potentially invest in in that segment as we see EVs being a huge theme going forward. But where can you play these uh, this industry over the long term, like we've already had it one tremendous success in that. And that kind of if you guys if we can just move into the show, um, it dovetails into a question that we got uh, over the past couple of weeks. Uh, this is from Deidre. Uh, she said, I would like your take on Airbus America. She also says on Algoma Steel. I can address Algoma next week. I'll talk about Airbus of America Corp. She went on to say, I want to let you know that I purchased 200 shares of uh, Hammond Power on the TSX back on February 10th. Uh, so I just wanted to thank Keystone. I believe it will be another Boyd. Too high, she said, for me to buy at this price, Boyd. We still like Boyd long-term, although now it's trading at all-time highs once again. So she said, thank you for your upcoming advice and much appreciated. Now, just to let the listeners know on Hammond Power, it's been a tremendous success story in our Canadian growth stock research what does Hammond Power do? They enable electrification through its broad range of dry type transformers, power quality products, and related magnetics. It's a basic, boring business with huge growth that traded at very low valuations, even just to start this year. Uh, if you look year to date this year, that stock is up 138%. Uh, if you go back to just the start of 2022, it's up over 435%. It's really, I highlight it and why I'm continuing to talk about it is it's a great example of our research because there has been no other research firm in Canada or the US that has covered this stock over the past decade. Back even further, if you go back to when we originally covered it right at the turn of the century, essentially. Um, Hammond Power is literally the best performing revenue producing stock on the Toronto Stock Exchange uh, this year and over the past year. Not... Despite this, however, not one of the big banks, the brokerages, boutique investment houses even bothered to cover it. Again, despite this tremendous growth in the business, not just the stock, in the underlying business here in terms of cash flow and revenue, uh, and it playing into a great investment theme, you had no coverage. Well, you should ask why. Now, I will give you my take on it. I'll let the guys talk about it as well, but I'll let you on a little secret here. Banks make their money and boutique brokerages, brokerage houses make their money from conducting financings for public companies. Hammond Power has not needed capital and the street ignores it. So if you're a client of the big banks, uh, you would not have known about this company. It's not going to find its way into your portfolio. It's up 4,500 plus percent over the last two decades, but you would never see it on BNN or in your portfolio. Of course, as I like to say, unless you used our research. So to answer the question, Deidre, is it the next Boyd? Well, perhaps it's still, you know, it's over the last two decades, it's halfway there basically. Uh, but Boyd is up 10,000, 11,000% uh, over the last uh, about 12, 15 years. Uh, so to get there, it still has a long way to go. 
There's a little more cyclicality in its industry, but uh, if you look at in terms of how Empower, what management is forecasting in terms of revenues three to four years out, seven hundred fifty million, and perhaps getting to the billion dollar revenue mark by the end of this decade, if they can do that, it could be well on its way to being the next Boyd. There will be more volatility um, in that business as there is. Uh, it follows the general economic trends, but there is this wind at the back and the electrification, the grid in the US wearing down and you're having to replace transformers. So it has wind at its back and from that perspective, we'll continue to follow it and uh, uh, continue to I've recommended Hammond Power for you know years and years now, and uh, now it's starting to get attention. But uh, you know, it, it, your real gains were when you know it had great fundamentals, good growth path ahead of it, and traded at those reasonable prices. So that's that. Now I can get on to Airboss of America Corp. I'll answer the question here. Symbol BOS on the TSX trades at seven dollars and thirteen cents. $193 million market cap. What does Airboss do? They develop, manufacture, and sell high-quality proprietary rubber-based products such as rubber compounds, rubber footwear, handwear, gas masks, anti-vibration automotive components, and other industrial products, offering enhanced performance and productivity to the transportation, military, and industrial markets. The company also sold what is called PPE or protective personal protective equipment to the U.S. government during the pandemic and continues to sell that equipment. Essentially, this is specialized clothing or equipment worn by an employee for the protection against infectious materials. Now, there was a surge in sales and profitability during the pandemic. Airboss was the beneficiary of pandemic era, non-competitive U.S. government contracts for its PPA equipment. Uh, the contracts are now likely somewhat one-time in nature, at least the the metrics on those contracts are, and future contracts will be more competitive if signed, meaning they will not likely show the same profit margins during the pandemic when it was just a question of getting the product and there wasn't a question of what it cost really. These contracts led to a massive spike in earnings. EPS in 2019, for example, was 55 cents per share. Uh, 2020, it was $1.49, so you know, almost three times higher than in 2021, it was a dollar. 54. But as the contracts kind of started to roll down, earnings cratered to a loss in 2022 of $1.26. So that has why you've seen the share price go from $46 down to $7. Um, what did we see in Q1 of this year? Well, revenues decreased 19% to $117 million. Adjusted EBITDA was down 47.6% to 10.3. And EPS in the quarter was just $0.05. Cents as opposed to 35 cents in the same quarter last year. Let's quickly look at the balance sheet. Cash of 16.6 million. Uh, debt, uh, net debt here is about 122.35 million. So the trailing, uh, net debt to trailing 12 month EBITDA is in the range of 2.99, basically three as at March, 2023. So this is okay given it does have EBITDA, it is profitable, but not spectacular in a rising rate environment. Um, and particularly the size of the company, these debt levels are a little high for our blood. Let's look at the valuations. Uh, current PE based on 2023 expected EPS of about 23. Um, expected to see a jump in earnings in 2024. This is what the analysts are expecting. I think it might be overly optimistic if the uh, macro environment continues to see some headwinds. So our take 
It was somewhat encouraging to see Airbus's profitability in the defense segment rebound in Q1 after two consecutive quarters of lackluster margins. The division reported adjusted EBITDA, which was positive of 4.1 million compared to a loss of 1.5 million and 2.4 million in Q4 and Q3 of 2022. However, like I said, debt is high for a business of Airbus's size and is cutting into profitability with little revenue growth expected in 2023 and into 2024 at present uh, outside of new kind of uh, unexpected contracts in its defense segment. The path to the higher share price appears to just be margin improvement. While this is a possibility, it could drive the share price higher. Um, we like to pair profit growth with revenue growth as in tandem, the two are more sustainable path to driving consistent profit over the long term. And this will drive the share price, not just to a rebound, but a sustainable uptick. At this point, we just monitor Airbus as the growth does not match our criteria. Thank you. Good job. I mean, there's a lot of businesses that had a big boom during the pandemic, um, but it was really just serving like a temporary market condition. So many now that we're seeing, right? Like it, it, yeah. it's And in a lot of cases, once you get away from those year over year comparables, you start to just get back to the base core business. But there may be an opportunity there at some point because some of them yeah. get really punished down. There may be an opportunity. In this case, I would still monitor. You know, if, if, if there was a better balance sheet here, it might be intriguing. But at this point, you know, that, that's not the case. So, um, you know, I, I think there's better situations that could be beaten down that got a one-time bump. Uh, you know, we, we took advantage of that with a company called Biomed, which procured vents during the, um, during the pandemic. Its share price got unjustly beaten down because uh, they didn't have the same one-time sales uh, in a couple of their quarters and we we're able to take advantage of it when it's, uh, pulled back. And, you know, since then it's up 130, 140%, uh, good core business had a good balance sheet. That was the other thing that, you know, Viamed had, and uh, that's why we've been able to profit from that over the last year. All right, Aaron, I kind of cut you off. You were going to go into the, uh, you were going to start the show, but it kind of dovetailed into what we were talking about there with the electrification, but you want to talk about, uh, examining the fundamentals really of six of the more well-known and actually profitable gold royalty stocks. And that came from a listener question as well, I believe. Yeah, I can't, it was a client question, actually. Uh, the person was was really just interested in what kind of ideas we had to invest in gold specifically. Um, and I, I thought it was a good enough question that I wanted to really kind of dive deep into it. And we, we do have some recommendations that we've discussed before that are indirectly um operating within the within the gold mining space, um, say as a processor or a miller. But generally speaking, we don't really love to invest in mining companies. And there's a couple of reasons for that. So one of those reasons is just that they're they're obviously so commodity price sensitive, right? Like everything about the business is really going to revolve around the commodity price. If the commodity price goes up, they have an opportunity to produce better revenue and cash flow. Uh, if the commodity price goes down, it doesn't matter what your asset looks like. You're likely going to produce um, a lot less cash flow or even go quickly to negative cash flow. Now, obviously, any company has some susceptibility to macroeconomic conditions, um, but commodity prices like like gold and metals, uh, oil and gas are particularly volatile. Um, they fluctuate uh, quite widely, even throughout a single business cycle. Um, but there's also another reason as well, and that's that 
mining companies themselves aren't necessarily great proxies to the price of the underlying commodity. So we'll just take uh, an example for with with the price of gold, right? So this is a, a 10 year chart um, on just the price of gold, the commodity price. And, um, you know, there's areas of flatness, but, you know, generally a uh, um, fairly decent upswing from, you know, around $1,300 per ounce 10 years ago to just under 2000 per ounce right now. Now I'm gonna compare this to the price of the largest gold mining company in the world, which is Barrett Gold ABX. Um, and the price looks completely different. So you would think that, you know, being a large diversified mining company, um, that would, you know, result in you being a good proxy to the price of gold, or perhaps um, perhaps you'd be more volatile than the prices, price of gold, but you would go up more when the gold price goes up, maybe down more. Um, but you really see very little resemblance between these two charts. Barrick is extremely volatile, extreme, extremely fluctuative, um, and it doesn't look from the chart, just looking at it, like it's really produced much of a return at all over the past 10 years. Now, if we break these numbers down and compare them, the one year, the three year, the 10 year return, uh, gold, the price of gold is up about 7% over the last year compared to Barrick's share price, which is down 13%. Um, gold is up about 10% over three years. That's not per year. That's not compound um, annual. That's just 10% over three years compared to Barrick, which is down 40% over three years. And then if you look at the 10-year return, gold is up about 56% and Barrick is up about 25%. Now, these returns don't include dividends um, and Barrick does pay a small yield. So when you add the yield in, certainly for the 10-year return, that's going to explain uh, a lot of the differential here. Um, but another thing that we also have to consider is that Barrick's share price has been so volatile over the last uh, over the last decade that, you know, if we were to just basically start our calculation even a couple of weeks before um, the date, uh, which would be June of, 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 20, of, of 2013, the 10-year return, if we were to just, you know, start that calculation or adjust it out a month back, you would get a completely different return. Um, it just so happens that we're calculating the return based off of a point in time when Barrick's share price had come down significantly. So, you know, it's really like just looking, pinpointing that 10-year return on Barrick. I mean, a nine-year return, a 10.5-year return is going to look completely different. So much more volatility in the gold miner's price. Um, and then if you look at this as well on a risk-adjusted basis, so return um, as you know, you know, also factoring in the volatility of prices, um, you can see that that gold on a risk adjusted basis has 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 produced far better performance than than Barrick Gold. Um, and I'm using Barrick here as a proxy for mining companies. You know, some mining companies, I'm sure, perform better, others worse. Um, but it just goes to show that you know, investing in a mining company, it brings all of the risks of the underlying commodity, but it also brings a lot of other risks. Um, but there, there is another option that I wanted to explore for our client here um, for investing in a stock that has exposure to the gold price. And that is looking at gold royalty stocks and gold streaming stocks. Again, this is not a space that we're incredibly active in, um, but I felt it was worth a bit of a dive to see what was out there and what the opportunities were. So a royalty or a streaming company, it's essentially a, a, like a specialized finance company. And what they do is they provide upfront capital to the mining companies in exchange for royalty um, on their production or just the right to purchase 
mined gold or whatever other metal they're investing in um, at a fixed price. So if the price of gold increases, um, then they're then they're generating a margin off of that. So royalty stocks, one of the reasons why I like that structure a little bit better is because they have far less operating risk. They are less capital intensive in terms of you know what is required to build a mine. Mining is an extremely complex endeavor. Um, I really feel that in many ways you have to be a bit of a specialist to fully understand what's happening if you want to have a good conversation with uh, the management company, management team of a mining company. Um, so royalty stocks just tend to have a much cleaner structure, higher margins, and they generally have the ability to produce more stable cash flow. Now, the flip side to that is that uh, royalty stocks generally trade at much more expensive valuations relative to mining stocks. And this reflects that cleaner, um, more, some, more easy to understand operating structure and those higher margins. Now, with mining companies, you can often find, especially small cap mining companies, trading at very low multiples of maybe only uh, two or three times cash flow, sometimes even less. Uh, a lot of times, though, this also factors in the risk that it's a, a very undiversified company. Um, there may be issues with reserve life or uncertainties in that area. But what I wanted to do is I wanted to look at specifically at gold royalty and streaming stocks, see what's available and just get a bird's eye view or a high level view of the of the fundamentals. So I did my searching and what I um, what I identified, I identified six gold royalty companies uh, that are trading in North American markets. Now, there are a couple other companies that um, that are that do list themselves as a as a gold royalty or streaming company. They didn't make this list. The reason why they didn't make this list is because they would not have been profitable or cash flow positive or perhaps producing very marginal cash flow. But these are the only six companies in the royalty space which are meaningfully profitable, producing meaningful levels of cash flow. That's Franco Nevada, uh, Wheat and Precious Metals, Royal Gold, Osisco, Triple Flag Precious Metals, and Sandstorm. Now, if, uh, if somebody thinks that I've made a mistake here, that I'm missing something, then by all means, put, put the name of the company in the comments. I'll take a look at it um, and I'll follow up in the comments or maybe even on the next show and just give a quick analysis of that company. But from what I can see, anything that was called a royalty company outside of these six didn't produce the profitability that I really felt they were worth at analysis. So um, all six of these companies with the exception of one, so five of these companies trade both in the on the Canadian market and the US exchange. Um, Royal Gold is the only one that just trades on the US exchange, it trades on the NASDAQ. So. I have the companies here in order of market cap. Franklin, Nevada is the largest company by market cap, about $28 billion, followed by Wheat and Precious Metals, $20 billion, um, all the way down to $8 billion for Royal Gold. Uh, and then $2.9 billion is the market size of a Cisco and Triple Flag. And Sandstorm is the smallest of the group with a market capitalization of $1.6 million. And then in terms of yields, they all pay a yield. Um, not, none of these yields are particularly impressive. They range from 0.9% for Frank, Franco Nevada up to 1.4% for Triple Flag. Um, all these companies are basically in that range of about 1%. So there are different ways that we can analyze the performance of these companies. What I'm going to focus on here is I'm going to focus on growth in operating cash flow per share. Um, I'm going to look at growth in the recent quarter last year and then compound growth over a three year period. Um, so 
you know, for a lot of these companies, it's a little bit over the map. So Franco Nevada uh, down, cash flow per share was down about 9.3% in the quarter, um, you know, a little better than flat for the year, but very impressive three-year growth. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's the opposite case for a Cisco, which had a very strong quarter of cash flow per share growth, um, but then down for the year um, and then lackluster uh, for the three year. Um, you know, wheat and precious metals uh, down 36% for the quarter, down 12% for the year, compound growth of 13% over three years. Uh, Royal gold, a little more consistent here, about 7.5% growth in the quarter, um, negative 9.7% for the year, but compound growth of 18% over three years. Um, triple flag, again, more stability here, up about 20% for the quarter, down 6.4% for the year, and compound growth is 6.4%. Now, the company that has the most consistent track record of growth over all these periods, that would be the smallest company, that's Sandstorm Gold. 14% uh, growth in cash flow per share for the quarter, 10%, 10.6% for the year, and then compound growth of 3% or 13% over a three-year period. Now, I'd mentioned before that uh, royalty companies tend to trade at higher valuations. We can see that by looking at the price to operating cash flow um, for these companies. So this is operating cash flow over the last 12 months. Um, the highest in the group would be wheat and precious metals. So they traded about 31 times cash flow. Franco Nevada, uh, a Cisco, both right around that 30 times range. Um, triple flag trading at 22 times cash flow. Royal Gold a little bit better at 19. And then the cheapest in the group is Sandstorm Gold, which again also happens to have the most consistent financial performance in the group as well. Um, so that's 13 times cash flow. So that really is not based on my experience of looking at royalty stocks in the past. That's actually not a bad valuation to cash flow, especially considering that the company has had pretty consistent growth. So again, this is not an in-depth analysis. This is a bird's eye view of the entire space um, so that we can essentially identify some areas that we want to investigate further. Now, if I were to just look at the growth in cash flow and the valuation, then the standout to me would definitely be Sandstorm Gold. As I said, consistent growth over a period of time and what I would consider to be you know, fairly attractive valuation for a royalty company. However, when we look at the balance sheet, uh, we need to factor some other things in like debt, like how are these companies financing themselves? So Frank Nevada, Franco Nevada, Wheaton, both have net cash balances, but Royal Gold, Cisco and Triple Flag, they even though they have net debt on their balance sheet, it's a very manageable level of net debt. Um, net debt to cash flow multiples all below one times um, basically almost zero for a Cisco. So these are very stable balance sheets, good solid financial positions. Sandstorm, on the other hand, in spite of it being the smallest company in the group, has the highest amount of net debt, uh, $470 million, and a net debt to cash flow multiple of 3.8 times. So that's a pretty heavy multiple. I mean, especially when you're comparing it to the group. Um, and then as well, when you're considering the fact that this is uh, a cyclical industry as well. Um, there is some exposure to the price of gold here. So that really explains perhaps the value valuation discount um, that we're seeing um, relative to the other companies is that Sandstorm is a company with greater leverage. Now, um, I still think that the valuation, the growth, uh, you know, the, the, the future potential of Sandstorm is worth 
some further investigation if we wanted to dig deeper. Um, but if I think if I had to pick one of these companies right now that's just stood out um, with decent metrics across the board, it would probably be Royal Gold, which uh, which is is perhaps not coincidentally the only company that does not trade on a Canadian exchange. Um, and I, I pull that out just because, you know, it does have that good solid balance sheet. Um, it does have, you know, decent growth in the last quarter, decent growth over three years, and then valuation of 19 times cash flow doesn't seem like it's too stretched to me. From a market size perspective, it's about right in the middle of the group. I know from looking at their company presentation, they think they're big enough to um, take advantage of some of the larger opportunities out there to get royalty streams, but they're also small enough to put up decent amounts of growth. So this is by no means a recommendation, um, but it's certainly an interesting name. Um, I would look further into Royal. I'd look further into Sandstorm um, and probably Triple Flag Precious Metals as well. Yeah, it's interesting. We actually uh, included Sandstorm um, just as a monitor report in our 2022 uh, cash rich report because you know it's interesting to to see at that time they did actually have a cash rich balance sheet or I mean it wasn't a huge cash rich position or anything but they they did have net cash um, but since then obviously you know they've uh, they've dipped into that net debt and it's cool too Aaron just that you did bring up you know the uh, the multiples because even in you know my report um, or in the report that I wrote on Sandstorm uh, on Sandstorm. I ended up uh, including um, the comparables, essentially, including, you know, exactly the companies that you brought up, you know, Frank and Franco Nevada, Wheaton Precious Metal, Royal Gold, Osisco, Triple Flag, and really all of the valuations have stayed, you know, relatively the same. Um, but at that time, uh, again, um, Sandstorm was trading with a trailing or sorry, it was a forward uh, price to FFO or funds from operation of about 13 times. So you know, a year ago, we're still seeing kind of that discount uh, on the company. Um, and again, it is uh, quite small, but uh, but yeah, no, good job. I thought that. Uh, and that was, was a forward? Th that FFO? was a forward. This was a I wonder forward. if they hit no, that F FO estimate. That's um, the question. We should, uh, yeah, I should uh, take a look, um, you know, but yeah, I, I guess I should uh, take a look and see. If well, I'm not, uh, not that you have to pull it up right now, but I wonder if that hit and if, you know, I mean, it, it depends on where the price of gold is. And uh, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Let, let's move on. I mean, was there any more comments? Aaron, it was a good summary. Um, I think that that did more than enough to answer the client's question, essentially on, totally. on uh, gold royalties. I mean, I think like you summarized the, the performance of Barrick. I do think if you want to play this segment long term, a good high quality royalty company is a better way to go often than one junior minor or even one senior mid tier minor that uh, has that one or two mine exposure. I think that this is a great way to play it. Franco Nevada over the long term has been a good example of that. All right, now let's look at, Brennan, you, you wanted to look at uh, the golf segment. You wanted to talk quickly about uh, the, the Saudi Live Golf purchase or merger with the, the PGA, and then you want to talk about those two golf-related companies. There's been a lot of news uh, recently with the PGA Tour merging with the Saudi Rand Public Investment Fund, which owns Live Golf, uh, and I thought that it would be you know just kind of interesting to look at some 
uh, golf-specific stocks as there has been a lot of attention on the sport lately and just look exactly on what drama has actually played out here. So this is essentially how things played out. I'm going to give you a quick and, and uh, or a quick little uh, rundown here. So in 2022, Greg Norman, a legendary golfer, launched the Saudi-funded Live Golf League and poached some of the PGA Tour's biggest stars with guaranteed contracts worth as much as $200 million. And just to get the league going, the Saudi Public Investment Fund invested more than $2 billion in 2022. Now, this led PGA Commissioner Jay Monahan to suspend multiple players for competing in live golf tournaments and led live players to file an antitrust lawsuit against the PGA Tour, alleging it was using its monopoly to squash competition. And then this led the PGA Tour to countersue, accusing live golf of interfering with its player contracts. Well, A Wall Street investment banker who is on the PGA's board, and his name is uh, James Dunn III, ended up reaching out directly to Yasir Al-Rumayan, the governor of the Sovereign Wealth Fund. And after months of positive discussions, they ended up drafting a deal. So according to the agreement, Jay Monahan, the commissioner, commissioner of the PGA Tour, will oversee the PGA Tour and the Live Golf League. And the PGA Tour will now control a new yet-to-be-named for-profit entity, which combines Saudi's public investment funds, golf-related commercial businesses, with the commercial business and rights of the PGA Tour. So it's really going to be interesting to see how things play out here, especially since the PGA Tour has always been a non-profit organization. And now both the PGA Tour and the Saudi Public Investment Fund are coming together to fund a for-profit entity. Um, But Brett sent me this uh, actually last night, uh, just this past Monday, uh, so right now, yesterday, uh, the U.S. Senate ended up opening an investigation into the PGA Tour Live deal. So it will be interesting to see if anything comes from their investigation. Um, So that's essentially the the drama that's played out here uh, in golf. And sticking on the theme of golf, I thought that it would be interesting to compare uh, two golf-related stocks, uh, which both sell clubs, bags, golf balls, basically everything and more that a golfer could need. So the first company that I'm going to look at here is a Kushnet Holdings Corp, or Golf, G-O-L-F, on the New York Stock Exchange, which owns the Titleist Golf brand, which is a premium company as many of their products, especially their golf balls, come in a premium. I thought it was kind of cool because my dad actually gave me an old Akushnet golf ball from the 70s. And you can see they have changed it to Titleist, of course. But anyways, that's just a a cool little thing that I have. I've got a golf ball, an Akushnet golf ball uh, from the 70s, which obviously they aren't putting Akushnet on golf balls anymore. Now, the other company that I'm going to be looking at is Topgolf Callaway Brands or MODG on the New York Stock Exchange which again owns the Callaway golf brand and acquired the popular top golf driving ranges for about $2 billion in 2020. So let's compare the two. So right now, Akushinet Holdings uh, trades at a price of about $50.50, has a market cap of about $3.4 billion and a dividend yield of about 1.6%, whereas Callaway trades at about $19.70, has a $3.6 billion market cap, and they actually suspended their dividend in 2020. Now, looking at the balance sheet, uh, Akushnet has uh, way less debt with net debt of about $772 million, whereas 
uh, Callaway has net debt of about $3.68 billion, which is uh, quite a large balance there. And Akushnet also has a lower net debt to EBITDA multiple of about 2.2 times. So the balance sheet definitely uh, is won by the Akushnet uh, here. Now, looking um, at the most recent results, Q1 of 2023, revenue was up about 13% year over year for Akushnet, whereas uh, for Callaway, it was up about 12% to $1.17 billion, and EPS uh, outpaced for Akushnet compared to Callaway. But realistically, what we want to look for here is guidance. So the fiscal year 2023 guidance, uh, Akushnet's guiding towards revenue to be up about 6% year over year and adjusted EBITDA to be up about 5% year over year, whereas Callaway is projecting about 11% growth in revenue. EPS is going to be slightly down or down, I guess, about 20%, not just slightly down. And adjusted EBITDA is looking to grow about 13% year over year. And as you can see from the valuations, especially on the price to earnings valuation, uh, Callaway is trading at uh, more of a premium uh, than Akushnet. So all in all, I don't know if I would say that either company is very attractive. Fundamentally, Callaway is projecting uh, better growth, but is significantly more levered than Akushnet and trades at relatively pricey multiples, while Akushnet has posted better profitability, is projecting lower growth, is less levered, and actually has a nice dividend yield and has grown that dividend over time. Qualitatively though, Callaway is the more intriguing name to me as it has better growth levers such as Topgolf, which is gaining a lot of attraction, and the company is diversifying into sporting wear as well. But at this point, given the mature nature of the golfing industry and Akushnet's better fundamentals, uh, I would probably go with Akushnet if I had to pick one of these businesses. But realistically, I don't think that uh, either really offer growth at a reasonable price. Good. Yeah, I'd agree. And that net debt to EBITDA multiple of 5.5 times, that's yeah. that's that's a hefty multiple. Yeah. That indicates a levered balance. Yeah. Seems like they levered up to um, buy Top Golf. Right? Exactly. And, and that's what it was. Um, so they levered up to, to buy Top Golf. And we'd have to look at what type of debt that is. You know, is it a variable rate, mm -hmm. fixed rate, and, you know, how long it's amortized over. But, you know, it does. it's a high uh, net debt to EBITDA multiple right now. That has to come down. Um, or else, you know, especially in a rising rate environment, it is a bit concerning, but, uh, yeah, th it, there's not a, enough growth here to really be interested in either company right now, to be honest, even adding top golf, which apparently was growing at a, you know, a, a decent clip, at least it, it, it hasn't moved the needle enough to where you want to pay 12 times EVD, but on a highly leveraged company or 30 times PE, right. That yeah. it's difficult to pay that when you've got just low double digits like 13 percent maybe growth in that range eps is actually down we'd have to look at cash flow growth and everything like that as well but yeah. i don't think they just either way it's not enough growth to really be interested in either of these companies agreed yep all right well let's finish off the show with a star and dog of the week uh brett you have both of those i believe our, our we're going to start with our dog right that's tenant financial and then our star of the week, we'll end that off on the positive note with Adobe. I think that's the way we're going, correct? Yeah, that, that is the way we're going. We yes, always like to end awesome. on a positive note. Yes, so, we do. Even though star and dog just sounds so much better. Yeah, it does. <laughs> All right. Though. Dog and star. Dog is and star. Not the same. Yeah. Not the same ring. Yeah. All right. But our dog of the week, like Ryan said, 
is Tenet Fintech Group, symbol PKK on the Canadian Security Exchange. Tenet is a fintech technology service provider and operator of Cubular Business Hub, which gives small to medium-sized businesses access to financing, advertising, networking, and business intelligent tools. The company operates in both Canada and China. The stock has fallen roughly 66% to only 13 cents over the past month, leaving the company at a market cap of about 13 million. This recent downfall was the continuation of the share price just collapsing since its high in September of 2021 of $13.60. So effectively, the stock has fallen over 99% since that, making even some of the worst cryptocurrency blush. So what has caused the utter collapse in share price? Looking at the past year, the company saw a massive decrease in revenue from $34.7 million in Q1 2022, $29.5 million in Q1 2023, effectively quartering the revenue. As well, the net loss didn't get any better. The net loss actually increased to $8.7 million from a loss of only $3.4 million. And that's not exactly what you want to see in a growing company. Barring one quarter in 2021, the company has been continuously gap unprofitable. So all the valuation is effectively coming from the, the expected growth. So to even see a slowing growth for a company that is valued like this, it'd be worrisome. But to see the utter evisceration of the company's revenue is just eviscerating as well, the investor's financial hope. But that's not even the end of the bad news. At the end of April, the board removed the now former CEO, Johnson Joseph, who has been accused of market manipulation of tenant share price from April 2020 to November 2021, which if you recall the dates, that was during the time of their all-time high. The removal of Mr. Joseph has caused a proxy battle now ensuing between the board of the company and Mr. Joseph. But that's not even the end of the bad news. The company is now short on cash to even meet the most basic of working capital, their payroll. So it's now raising money through a private placement for up to $3 million through that placement. So overall, collapsing stock price, disintegrating revenue, squabbling management team, and no cash to even run the company, which solidifies Tenet as our dog of the week. For sure. Do we want to talk about Do it? Do we now? comment on this before you get <laughs> into your you anything to that? Well, I'm just I'm just amazed that they can do a private place. Yeah, I mean that's uh, just the most interesting thing about this company right now is that that her name is a palindrome. To be honest, like uh, uh, to me, I don't. Uh, well, I can't believe this share price went to twelve dollars in that range. We got many questions on them on the way and advised against the business because of where they were doing business. The uh, the business was not profitable. There was high growth, not profitable, and now you know you've seen it fall off a cliff. Um, you know, it's not not very surprising to us. It's it's maybe shocking to see you know the ninety nine percent decline, but um, you know you. You need to actually make money as a business uh, to actually hold a share price. And uh, in this case, really, there's no money being made here. And uh, now tons of losses and those losses are accelerating. And it looks like other issues outside of the, you know, just the numbers that you see on the page here. So, you know, it's just a case of uh, people get greedy and see growth uh, that they think is going to extrapolate out into the future continue to continue to extrapolate out and not recognizing the underlying risk in the business and they're definitely here you know kind of punching us in the face and uh, this is why you need quality cash flowing businesses that are growing not uh, these type of operations to be honest who here thinks that brett's going to receive a ton of angry comments 
Oh, probably. Or um, has it gone down it, so much I, that everybody it, will just I say, I hate it. No, yes, no. Right. That's, this looks like yeah. the type of company. I, I, that I was actually get. reading Brett through. Some, yeah. Brett doesn't understand the technology. No, no, no. <laughs> no I, I was reading it's through some of the bowl boards on it, and shareholders are very, even more conflicted, I think, than even some of the board members. They're going back and forth on each other. It's just a uh, bunch of piranhas yeah, it should going be. after each other at this point. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, but we'll we'll you go back. Look, look at our previous up. videos on the company, right? Mm-hmm. Look at our previous videos on the company. We're warning against being invested based on the valuations of this company. And now avoiding poor investment decisions like this is one of the best ways to make money, keeping your money over the long term and putting it in good companies. So avoiding basically wiping out all your capital in a company like this is something you need to do in your portfolio. All right, let's move to our star in a far better company, obviously, in Adobe. All right, like Ryan said, our star of the week this week is Adobe, symbol ADBE on the NASDAQ. Adobe is one of the largest and most diversified software companies in the world. The company offers a line of products and services used by creative professionals for photo editing, video editing, graphic design, game design, and much, much more. Adobe has risen over 40% in just the last month to roughly $475 a share and a market cap of $218 billion. The sharp rise in price occurring over the last month can be attributed to AI. But unlike many other companies which have effectively just rebranded their terms of big data, machine learning, and of those sorts to AI, and they're not really, really changing their operations, Adobe, on the other hand, has actually been implementing generative AI, which has caught the attention of the market. Adobe recently released its Photoshop generative AI beta last month and had previously released Adobe Firefly as well. And it is implementing generative AI across its other platforms. For example, we can take this picture here of Ryan, a normal picture of him every day, and then we can run it through the Adobe beta and maybe want to make him a bit more casual, add him a jean jacket. Or, you know, maybe we we want that jacket. That is exactly his jacket. That's not even the Photoshop. Mm -hmm. And this is just what this what took me about 30 seconds to do for the record. And then maybe we want to show him on his latest vacation. So here he is whitewater rafting in about a five minute Photoshop. All the pictures besides the initial one you saw there is completely AI generated. And there you can see Ryan losing his paddle, unfortunately. But the point is really, these are genuinely useful tools for creatives derived from AI, and it already exists. So it's no surprise really when the market has run up the stock price so much over the last month. And before that, it was more or less flat at year to date. So it's not part of that uh, top seven, top 10 group of the market, which we've seen. They have just risen over the past month by 40% as these tools have come out. And we've looked at Adobe in the past before. And one of our biggest concerns is that their market share being retained. So as other cheaper or free alternatives come from like Photoshop in this case, they need to keep their moat. In this case, AI is their moat at the time being, and they need to keep on adding these sorts of tools because the free versions or the cheap alternatives, they can't keep up with this sort of stuff. But Adobe does release its Q2 results later this week, so we'll really see, is the AI hype AI hype living, really materializing financially, or is it just hype at this point? And we'll see that later this week, which I'm personally looking forward to it. And I think Ryan is as well in that picture. Of course, you can see I'm really excited. Um, can we see some of the photoshops that you spent two or three hours on, Brett? <laughs> yes. These ones were, re- it, it's, it's actually great how quick it does it too. It's maybe a 10 second load and it loads right in, gives you a few options. I, I enjoy it just as a, 
So on this image with the shark, mm-hmm. uh, if, any, if people aren't watching this, there's a shark. I'm in a river raft, my hands in the air. I've lost my paddle and there's a, it looks like some kind it could be a great white. I'm not sure behind me coming at. Yeah. Those, uh, whitewater river sharks. Are I know. Pretty, pretty dangerous. I love the river sharks. Um, I've, uh, wrestled several of them. I'm clearly at this moment going to start wrestling with the shark and take them out, but. But how? What do you say to the generative program to produce this? Like, what this, would you be so instructing it to do? For this one, this is through their Photoshop, not the Firefly, for the record. And okay, this is yeah. about six different generations. So first, I started with the raft, and I just highlight effectively where I want the raft to be. It would generate yeah. that, and then I can do another well, layer, which let's say that's the water in the background, and then I do the shark, yeah. I do the paddle, and anything else yeah. like that. And you can add, like I've seen this many places where it's like you want to remove a car from a background. So actually yeah. generate and fill. They had a previous and like it still exists in the current Photoshop. Um, it's like automated fill or something. I forget the exact term of it, um, which it would fill, but it's not as clean as this, even though this does obviously have some hiccups in it. But this, like I said, was done in five or 10 minutes, this photo. Yeah, I mean, that's the yeah. key, right? It took five, 10 minutes or mm-hmm. to yeah, do Yeah, and you can obviously completely. clean it up too, still with their existing yeah. tools. And that's the big thing. Yeah, yeah. It's cool. Very cool. And uh, I look like I'm enjoying a... myself. Yeah, I'm surprised you didn't pick me as a victim. Yeah. Nah. For once, it had <laughs> to be someone next. else. Next. <laughs> You're next. Yeah, yeah, it's true. All right. Well, I think that's going to close off our week. Again, uh, clients, if you're looking in your account, look for that new report, the U.S. Um, under $2 billion market cap report. Two new recommendations in there just came out. Five or six companies were monitoring, potentially uh, getting into those companies at opportune points over the next year. Uh, if you're listening to the podcast, rate and review us on iTunes. If you're watching this on uh, YouTube, smash that subscribe button. Keep the questions coming in. Again, I say we're getting more and more every week. It's great to see. Keep those questions coming in and we'll answer them every week. As always, I'd like to wish you profitable investing. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.